first pasuk. Everybody knows that uh, Moshe Rabbeinu unsuccessfully prayed to God uh, to allow him to enable him to go to Eretz Yisrael. Now it's not clear why Moshe Rabbeinu on the day he was going to die wanted to go to Eretz Yisrael. I mean, they can say, what's up there to get uh, they just, uh, there are two sheets because one of them is imperfect. So, so again, it's not clear why Moshe Rabbeinu wanted to go to Eretz Yisrael, but to be allowed into Eretz Yisrael. Because the Eretz Yisrael that we think about, and that's what the, the measure says, that uh, Moshe Rabbeinu wanted to go to Eretz Yisrael, and that he could do the mitzvot that you could only accomplish in Eretz Yisrael. Now that sounds very nice, but it's a problematic interpretation. Because the mitzvot atriyot ba'eretz Yisrael were not relevant until after the kibush, the conquest, and the nachalat, and the inheritance of the, of the tribes. Now that took 14 years. It took 14 years to get to the point where the people would be doing the mitzvot that are called mitzvot atriyot ba'aretz the mitzvot that are connected to Eretz Yisrael. So we have to say that if that's true, that Moshe Rabbeinu was really asking for a very serious leniency. He wanted to go to Eretz Yisrael and stay there, alive, for 14 years, after which, you know, okay, then God could take him and uh, die. But, but it's not clear to us, us, you know, we're very we kind of simple, straightforward people. What difference does it make to Moshe Rabbeinu if he actually did the mitzvah and he didn't do the mitzvah? He did all the mitzvah that he was obliged to do. Why would he feel this tremendous need to do mitzvah that he wasn't obliged to do? So, the first pasuk in the parashah is you have to look at the, at the photograph here of the, of the page says as follows that Hanan Rashem Ba'ita Hibimra. But Hanan Rashem. And so there's this word that Hanan. Uh, which you know in, in, uh, in Rashi, Rashi is always concerned about the use of the less likely word over the use of the more likely word. The more likely word, of course, is that Kalev. That's the likely word. What is that Hanan? How does that Hanan compare to the Etzhalet? I mean, that's the, uh, that might be the question. So Rashi says, I'm looking at the Rashi in this photograph. Rashi says, Etzhalun v'komakon, ela v'shon v'knatsinah. So Rashi says that the Hebrew word, the root of the Hanan, you know, in Hebrew, at some point in time, people decided that Hebrew words had roots. Uh, this, of course, is not true. Roots are a figment of our imagination. But 
they are such, it's sometimes helpful to speak of words as though they had roots. Of course, the, we learned that from the Arabs. The Arabs, Arabic grammarians, were really very good at this. They're very good at, at roots and words and words that are connected to each other. So that at the time that the Jews were in Spain, where a lot of this grammatical work was being done, the Jews also got into it, you know. And Rashi, who lived in France, he was from France, Germany, you know, he didn't, uh, he, he wasn't really a primary player in the grammatical game. But Rashi had on his desk a character. He was a sort of in Beethoven's research. He went to Beethoven's research as Rashi's study and his desk and his table. So one of the books that Rashi had was called Nachberet Menachem. Menachem is Menachem Ben Saruk, who was granted a very small street in Rehavia. Uh, I, I don't know who decided on the size of the street that different Mishalim got. But he was a grammarian, and he wrote a dictionary. He Menachem Ben Saruk wrote a dictionary, and he called the dictionary by the unlikely name Machberet. A Machberet is a notebook, right? They called it a Machberet. We call it Machberet Menachem. Menachem Ben Saruk and Rashi had that book when he wrote his commentary. He and his friends and how did, and they wrote all these commentaries that they wrote especially on the Torah and the Nath, he had this Nachberet sitting in front of him and he looked it up, he looked up the words. Now the Nachberet, the author of the Nachberet, he believed that words had roots. He was not sure whether Hebrew roots are always triliteral, which is a way of saying three letters, or biliteral two letters. They are, if you just think of all the Hebrew words you happen to know, you'd see immediately that there's some words that look like they have two-letter roots. Uh, an obvious uh, group of words like that are words that are repeated. Sal, sal, gal, gal, you know, etc., etc. So what's the root of a word like gal, gal? It looks like it's Gimelam, doesn't it? It doesn't mean that it's Gimelam, it's something. Because the two letters are repeated. And when two letters are repeated, it looks like it's two letter root. So sometimes in the Mahmeret, roots have two letters, and words have two letter roots, and sometimes they have three letter roots. It's only in time that we convinced ourselves that every single Hebrew word should have a three letter root. But it's only make believe. Like there's all this grammar for Chlap in general. Grammar is just make believe. It's, it's like we make up a rule, and the rule doesn't work, so we call them exceptions. Exceptions is a word that, that declare that the rule is a little shaky. Now, because if the rule wasn't shaky, why would you have exceptions? So then we have to figure out why. Psychological reasons for exceptions, and sociological reasons for exceptions. You know, like everybody gets into the deal uh, uh, on exceptions. So Rashi says 
that the word Ve'etchanah is related to the Hebrew three-letter root Ve'etchanah. Right? That's what, that's what it is. And so he says, Ve'etchanah v'kobakom e'lashon matnachinah. So you know, listen, now that nun sophie, we know sometimes a final nun it turns into a final men. Because men and nun are, yeah, I don't know why. I can tell you something, but it doesn't matter. So sometimes, so Rashi says that the word nun is related to the word Chinam. Right? Chet nun meh. The word Chinam means free, without cause. That's something you get from nothing. So listen to Rashi. Rashi is having to take to your Lord God and explain his Rashi, right? He says, A Machanun, the Kopakon, Elon, the Shon, Machanat, Chinam. You get a present for nothing. You didn't deserve it. Like somebody came and gave you a wedding present by mistake. You got married, but you somebody else got married. So that's called matnatina. It's a matana. It belongs to you. But you didn't do anything to get it. So again, what does what does El Hashem mean according to Rashi? That Moshe Rabbeinu said, look, I don't deserve it, but I want it. I want to get something that I don't deserve. Which case, it's hard to understand. Why didn't Moshe Rabbeinu deserve it? Why didn't Moshe Rabbeinu deserve to go there and to take a look around? I mean, he took the Jews out of Egypt. He took them for 40 years through the desert. He brought them to the, uh, to the Jordan River. My, okay, Yoshua Benun is going to take over. I mean, after all, Moshe Rabbeinu is 120 years old. It's a little old to, to be fighting uh, battles on his own. So, so, so he asked to go to Eretz Israel. Doesn't he have enough suyot? E Moshe Rabbeinu, doesn't he have enough merit in his life to be able to to make that very small demand on a Kurdish boat? So Rashi says, not not enough. He wanted something for nothing. What's something for nothing? After the Rashi continues, she yeshut tzadikim leklokim matzayim atovim. He says, this is a quality that the righteous have. Righteous people. That even though they have many, many studios, they have much merit, they don't come to Kodesh Bogo and say, look, I, I did you this favor, I did that favor, and I took care of the people, and I, you know, and I, I trained them, and I taught them, and I learned, so now I want to pay them. That's not the way of the righteous. The righteous always consider themselves to be at a deficit. They, they don't have enough studio. They don't have enough, uh, uh, enough things to, to grant them uh, uh, some special uh, uh, standing. He says, Nevertheless, they come and they say, I don't deserve it, I didn't do it, it's not my prerogative, uh, help me. 
in spite of that, in spite of that, that's, that's called the righteous. The righteous never think that God owes them something, or that they have done in their lifetime something that, uh, that means that they deserve to do something that they would usually go to. Rashi says that there's a possible that teaches you this. And what's the pastor? The pastor is the Hanoti Vesher Achon. The Hanoti Vesher Achon. Right? Chan Chon. Hanoti Chet Nun. So one of the Nuns is missing. Hanoti Chen. Chen means um, attraction, attractiveness. Remember Noah? Noah Matachem. Noah was attractive in the eyes of God. That's what Hanoti et Asher Achom. Hanoti et Asher Achom. Amarlo, the Rishon, Ra'et Kana. So the implication is that's what Moshe Rabbeinu is doing. He came to ask God something, but he wanted to make sure that God understood that he was not asking for a quid pro quo. That he didn't come and say, I have all these suyotes, now give me something. It was not Tanami asking. And it makes sense that the righteous should ask for, for Matnatinami. I just want to remind you that this idea, this idea started with actually with. Uh, but I will not be. I'm sorry, I have uh, Again, I'm sorry about the, the ineffectiveness of the sheet. Remember, there was a war in the time of Abu Mabinu, four kings against five kings, and Lot was taken prisoner. And then Abraham got together his minions and they attacked and they released uh, a lot of an interesting story, which we're not dealing with now. But after that story is over, the Pasuk in the beginning of Perik Tedvah, when she, Perik Tedvah, pursued out, says, God appeared to Abraham, Machazet is a word that is applied to prophecy. Something that you see, right? something that you, that you don't expect and you see. I'll fear Abraham. Do not fear Abraham. I'll not fear my name left. I'll protect you. I, God, will protect you. You will be the recipient of a great reward. Now, it's very hard to know who this Pasuk is talking about. Abraham Rabinu just won a battle. He freed his nephew, Lot. He returned home victoriously. So why does God say to Abraham Rabinu, Alfira Abraham, do not fear, I'll take care of you. Does not do what? But the victors are thinking about the fear that they had in war. I don't want to make it here. Comparison to ourselves today, Islam has said. Look at what Rashi says. Like, don't look, just listen. <laughs> hey, uh, hey, Rashi says, I'm not him again. 
מן העונש שלא תענש על כל אדם נפשות שהלך לכל זה. This is very, very good for us. We wouldn't be able to put up with it. So Rashi says, What happened? He says, After the miracle that took place, So Abraham won this battle. God supported Abraham in the war against the kings. Maybe I'd run out. Maybe that's it. Whatever God uh, uh, gave me in this war with the Malachim, that's the end of it. There's no more star. No, nothing's coming to me. So, uh, do not be afraid. So it was, Abraham was the first one who thought that his righteousness was not sufficient. His righteousness, he certainly could not have won, won the war against the kings just based on his own righteousness. But it was based on the bank of good deeds that he had. And now that he won the war, he was afraid that the bank was empty. He wouldn't have any, any sources of righteousness. So, Abraham said to him, Abhi Rabbi, no, 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 your righteousness is going to support Uh, is going to support your future endeavors. That's what Avraham outside Moshe Rabbeinu wasn't that bad. Why wasn't Moshe Rabbeinu able to say, you know, to God, my righteousness should get me into Eretz Israel. I mean, why not? So there's this pasuk. Now we look at the sheet. The pasuk that Rashi quotes, the pasuk that Rashi quotes, is the, the third uh, the third source. Right? So this is with uh, oh, okay, let's do the second source first. They're, they're really uh, connected to each other. We're talking about the Heba And we're talking about the devils of Moshe Rabbeinu to save the people. And I thought, if all this says to Moshe Rabbeinu, this is the second paragraph of the Bethlehem Sufiyu, Vatah Nuchali, God says to Moshe Rabbeinu, Stop bothering me. Vayichar Atibahem. I'm angry at them. Them meaning the people who built the golden calf. Vayichar Atibahem. I'm angry. Vatahalehim. I'll do away with them. And you, Moshe Rabbeinu, take that place. That sounds pretty, uh, God is pretty aggravated about what had happened with the Grash. Grash, Hanichali. God says to Adam Avinu, let me be. Grash says, Adayin lo shamanu shitpamel Moshe Rabbeinu. The Torah doesn't tell us that Moshe Rabbeinu had already died for the benefit of the Nei Yisrael. So how come I thought the Bible said, Anifali, what do you mean, Anifali? Let me alone. When do you say, let me alone? When somebody's bothering you. But we didn't hear that Moshe Rabbeinu was bothering God. They didn't say anything. Moshe Rabbeinu didn't come to the defense of the Nehisha yet. 
Gaitse Rashi says, Adaibo Shamanu Shikarebo Shalakim. Rule me amicoli. And God says, Let me alone. Stop bothering me. Elakan Patakolo Teta Tlahodiyo. But really, what the meaning of the Pasuk is that God created an opening, right? An, an entree. And told him, Shadavar Kaluri Go. That it all depends on him. Who's him? On Moshe Rabbeinu. That is, so this is an amazing statement about the power of prayer that Moshe Rabbeinu had. It's as though Moshe Rabbeinu didn't understand himself how powerful he was. And so our Prophet said to him, listen, if you doubt it, they'll be saved. You, Moshe, and only you can do it. So here we have Moshe Rabbeinu, and that's what it says in the Pesach that Rashi is quoting, Hanoti et asher achon, v'rishanti et asher achon, when? If you die. If you, Moshe Rabbeinu, die. So Moshe Rabbeinu was taught from the Rashi. That HaKadosh Baruch would accept his prayers on behalf of the Jewish people, even though we see here that Moshe Rabbeinu is not able to pray on behalf of himself. Now we'll look at the other person. When you, Moshe Rabbeinu, are going to see Kavod, Kavod is the glory of God. I admit, I don't know exactly what the glory of God is, I don't know what it means, but it's good. It's something that Moshe Rabbeinu achieved that no one else achieved. He was able to gaze upon the glory of God. He says, Lepish Amir said that Tzarek Lelamecha Seged Filah. It was the glory of God the one who sees the glory of God, the one who is that close to a Kodesh Bokul, he is the one who is able to learn the order of Davani. He becomes the ultimate Davani teacher. When you have to ask mercy for the people of Israel, they start to leave. Shudavot, you mentioned to me first. Shudavot, that's how we daven. For Adar Hashem, okay, 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 Abraham, okay, Isaac, okay, Yaakov. That's how we daven. It's like we say we had a vote. We may not be much, but we still remember that we had fathers. It's kind of Shudavot, Kisavur Adar. You think that if there's no longer any dependency on the merit of the Avot, there's no hope for the name Israel. And he has here called me that to be with the Nechalatsu, but that's a full No, no, no. Something's going to happen now. God is going to pass before Moshe Rabbeinu, 
he's going to be in the cave, God's glory is going to be there, and then Moshe Rabbeinu is going to be able to daven, even for the nation that was condemned by God to be destroyed. The karate v'shem Hashem v'fadeh. The karate v'shem Hashem. The words are recalled to the name of God before you. Lelametcha. Seder v'kashat rachamim. I want to teach you the order of asking for mercy. Afin tichlet zechut avot. Even if they're no longer in zechut avot. Even if the Jewish people have gone beyond, over the, over the boundary, over the limit, they, they built a golden cat. What have they got to do with Avram and Yisrael and Yaakov? They spent their whole life denying idolatry. So, so there's no Sudafot, right? You see God. That's what the Gemara says. That God was, was, was in a Talit. He was a Talit. And that's what he saw. Most of it is saw the Talit. And he says, uh, And and say the Yud Gimel Midot, Hashem Hashem Kerachum Atanu Lechapai Rafetzet Rebet, which is what we say from Slichot. You know Slichot? Ashkenazim say Slichot like a week before Rosh Hashanah, starting the Mosai Shabbat, so Mazasim is a lovely Svaradim who loves Slichot, say for the entire month of, of El. What are Slichot? What are Sichot? Sichot is saying those two Sukim, Hashem, Hashem, again and again and again. And in between, of course, we want to differentiate one time and a second time and a third time. So we say a, a Kina. Wait, did they call them Sichot? Poems that are appropriate for the special feeling that we're supposed to have, we say, but the real Mikhoi of Slichot is that a sin? Hashem, which we call Yudgim Umidot Shorachamim. We say Yudgim Umidot Shorachamim. What is, what is uh, special about Yudgim Umidot Shorachamim is that they supersede Sud Avot. What do you mean? Means even if people, even if people in some part of their lives have denied their connection to our vote. They deny that they are part of the ongoing history of the Jewish people. They deny it. In spite of that, in spite of that fact, if they say, Hashem, Hashem, God will listen and respond appropriately. That's the idea. That's the idea. That's why we say through the period up until Yom HaKippurim, from whenever we start, until Yom HaKippurim. So Rashi says, V'kara v'gil midot, Chaveinu l'amedet Yisrael asot ken. You, Moshe Rabbeinu, will then be able to teach B'nai Yisrael that they have to say you do them. So Moshe Rabbeinu is the ultimate teacher of prayer. But not for himself. He was not able, he was not able to pray for himself about such a small thing, uh, uh, just going into Eretz Yisrael, just being one of the people, one of the people that thought Yoshua Benun, the next, the two later, that God does not appoint Yoshua Benun, 
He's going to take the people into Eretz Israel, and you're going to go up the mountain. You'll see something, but you won't be there. You won't be there in spite of the fact that Moshe Rabbeinu wanted very much to be there. It says that. And so God says to Moshe Rabbeinu, you teach them you give them They say, I will certainly answer. I will certainly answer. And Moshe Rabbeinu, who's the teacher of the Rachel Vachanu, God will not answer him. God does not answer him. The last part of the Rashi. I will, I will, other times I will want to have mercy and want to forgive. Up to now, there is no promise except sometimes God will answer, sometimes He won't answer. I will be shot myself, my Lord, later on. It says in there, not the great meat. If the soul shall not God promised Moshe Rabbeinu that the prayer of Yud Gimel Midot, the prayer called Yud Gimel Midot, and not Hosea So you have this kind of disparity where Bnei Yisrael, who did uh, the worst of transgressions of idolatry in the Torah, I mean, there's nothing worse than, than idolatry. Yet Moshe Rabbeinu taught them to, to daven for themselves, and Moshe Rabbeinu daven on their behalf. And they were saying, even though the Torah was suggested that they should wipe out the people of Israel, and that Moshe Rabbeinu would be the father of a new of a new nation. So you remember, I mean, I want to try to answer answer some of these questions. Um, you know that in this discussion that the Kodesh Bokho has with uh, Moshe Rabbeinu on the future of uh, the future of the Jewish people Moshe Rabbeinu makes the following remarkable statement this is chapter Shmot, Muhammad Beck 32, 32, 32 so, uh, I'll repeat something that I've not the Pratik said, which I've mentioned before. But I'll say it again because I like it. Ratat, the Pratik says, in Kisafatatan. Don't you think it turns to God and says, listen, if you could give them, okay. So I'm happy. If he said if not, meaning if you don't forgive them, this is a, this is a, Moshe Rabbeinu talking to God in that. If you don't forgive them, mecheni nami Erase me from the book that you wrote. Again, Moshe Rabbeinu says to God, if you forgive them, okay. I'm with you, God. But am I in? If you don't forgive them, then I don't want anything to do with the book that you wrote. I want you to erase me from the book, not this. Whatever you know, romantic notions we have 
about, uh, about Moshe Rabbeinu, this does not fit in to what we think about Jewish leadership. Like, he goes to God, he doesn't ask for mercy. He doesn't ask for mercy. He asks for, he makes a demand. And he says, if I don't get my way, like, like a child, he says, I'm leaving. I'm out of this picture. Just erase me from the, from the book. So, Lord came on Rachel, and Rachel, he explained the Pasuk in the following way. He says, Moshe Rehna says, Okay, if you forgive them, then I know that I've done the job that I'm supposed to do. I, Moshe Rehna, who am I? I am the defense attorney of Am Yisrael. Who appointed me defense attorney of Am Yisrael? God appointed me uh, defense attorney. So, it's not possible that God would appoint me to be defense attorney for B'nai Israel, and I would lose a case. Does that make sense? I mean, how could I lose? I'm God's appointing. I mean, it's not like I was appointed to hire, to go hire a lawyer for something. Not that, that way. I am the defense attorney. So that means that my job is to defend B'nai Israel. And since I'm appointed by God to, to defend the day Israel, it's inconceivable that my defense would not be appropriate, that I would lose. So, in, so, so he says, in Okay, I know I'm doing my job. I'm Moshe Rabbeinu. But am I? What happens if I can't pull it off? If I can't convince God, that he should forgive the name Israel. So obviously, at least there's something wrong with me. That I've lost my job. I'm no longer the defense attorney of the name Israel. So if I'm not the defense attorney of the name Israel, there's got to be a reason. His Moshe Rabbeinu just came down from Har Right? He met up with the angel as a He fought with these guys, he fought with those guys. And here Moshe Rabbeinu comes down from Har And he says to himself, it must be that there's something wrong with me. If I am, if you don't forgive them, it must be me who is the problem. Who is the problem? So what's the problem? The Moshe Rabbeinu said, it must be God. Like haughtiness, a lack of humility. So where is the lack of humility Moshe Rabbeinu come from? What made him lack humility? Question. Answers because of the Torah that he studied at Har Sinai. It says again and again by the Be Hashem of Moshe Lebor and the Be Hashem of Moshe Lebor. He says, he says that probably that affected me. I began to think that I'm really some sort of superior personality. So Moshe Rabbeinu says, I want to be the defense attorney. I've got to get rid of the holiness. So Mechani now. He says, erase me from the Torah which is causing me this unnecessary holiness. And so, when Moshe Rabbeinu came to B'nai Yisrael, to Akhenaton, he said, well, tomorrow, he wanted to somehow get into Eretz Yisrael. That was his desire. Books, really what he wanted was to be like everybody else 
He wanted to be able to speak about himself in the same way he spoke about the Lady Israel. He wanted to be a parishioner. He wanted the Hashem, Hashem, Tel Rachel, the Tanur, to work for him, to obliterate somehow the Chinu Hashem that he was responsible for. You know, he, he hit the rock, and speak to the rock. We don't know exactly what the transgression was. We know that Torah said that God said, this is a transgression. You're not going to go into Eretz Israel. So Moshe Rabbeinu said, I know that I'm not going to go into Eretz Israel. But who did that transgression? Moshe Rabbeinu. What about the little Moshe? What about Moshe, the daughter of, the son of, the husband of, the father of? What about that Moshe Rabbeinu? Couldn't he go into Eretz Israel? And that's the I have nothing to offer. I have no merit. I'm a little Moshe Rabbeinu. I didn't do anything. I didn't do anything great. I didn't make big changes for Amisah. I'm one of the people. So why couldn't I go into Eretz just like everybody else does? And Akadosh Baruch was angry at him. Akadosh Baruch was angry at him because Moshe Rabbeinu that was the deal. Can only be Moshe Rabbeinu. He can't be Moshe Rabbeinu, a regular person. Sometimes just can't. There's a similar halacha. There's a similar halacha in the, in the Mishnah, the end of the various Mishnah, you know, there's lots of things. There's sometimes a Kohen, sometimes a Kohen, a dog becomes unfit for service. He comes, he has a physical blemish or illness. So another Kohen is appointed Kohen Gadol in its stead. Right? So you really have two. One, who's the, 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 the old Kohen Gadol, who can no longer do the Avodah in the Beit HaMikdash because he has this physical blemish. And then the new Kohen Gadol. And so then after some period of time, the old Kohen Gadol gets well. And he goes back to being the Kohen Gadol. Now what about the Kohen Gadol from 10? What happens to him? So everybody seems to agree that he just can't go back. He can't go back from a position of great authority and, and meaningfulness to a position that's less meaningful. And so Akadosh Baruch was angry at Moshe Rabbeinu. He didn't understand that Moshe Rabbeinu could only be Moshe Rabbeinu and could only be judged as Moshe Rabbeinu would be judged. And certainly the judgment that Moshe Rabbeinu was going to Eretz Yisrael was not a judgment of Rachel Muhammad. Because the only way that he was able to defend the people of Israel was the fact that he had a standard that was so much higher that HaKadosh Baruch had to, so to speak, have a listen to the entreaties of, of Moshe Rabbeinu. So the question for Moshe Rabbeinu was, could I be a regular person? The answer that HaKadosh Baruch gave him was that that was impossible. You can't be Moshe Rabbeinu and not be Moshe Rabbeinu. And therefore, the judgment of Moshe Rabbeinu was 
very strict, very particular. Because Moshe Rabbeinu was the one who understood that and that the truth about everybody else you could say they didn't know exactly what they were doing. They didn't understand what the transgression was. They weren't able to kind of straighten themselves out. They can't say that about Moshe Rabbeinu. Whatever he did, he knew exactly what he was doing. And therefore forgiveness of the greatness that's why Rashi talks about the Tzadiki. The righteous don't get forgiveness because they understood the truth. And Moshe Rabbeinu certainly understood the truth, but he did whatever he did that caused the Kodesh Bokhu to, to punish him. Uh, we're taking off a couple of weeks until Ellen. I mean, I probably won't be here. <laughs> I just want to say that somebody wants to get the announcements of the email, doesn't get them, if you give me your email address, I will get it done. Yeah. Sorry. So, if you wanted something like for those two boys to be alive, why don't you say psalms? Why don't you say that? Why don't you say that's pretty? Why don't you say that one you wanted to bring pleasure to the I don't understand. That's from what you said, it sounds like the, the, what we should learn is that the prayer for mercy is undeserved. Should be the first thing. Should Here we have the whole tradition of saying, can you leave? No, I mean, there are absolute notions of prayer. And then there's the recognition that we might not be able to achieve that kind of absolute notion. So it's important, I think, it's important to have a certain idea of what prayer is. So even if you have an idea, it doesn't mean that you can always achieve it. That's just by doing it, you, you're but both your faith. What? Instead of repeating to be later, which I think is repeating later. We know, why is the Minhaj, well, the uh, Hillel, the Yud Gimel Midot, I guess, became formalized around Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. At a time when, uh, when some kind of decision was made in heaven about, about the future, so it seemed that that was the time that this powerful weapon should be used. When we say to him live, when we say to him live, I don't think we may we're necessarily asking for a particular result. I, I think we're just making an extra effort to be worthy in a, in a general sense. And hopefully being worthy in a general sense would have good repercussions. I, I, I personally, personally, I, I don't think we have capacity to pray for something. We, we only have the capacity to pray. And maybe that's good enough sometimes. And even if it doesn't seem to work out, it, it may be a good thing to do. And the Rambam said, the Rambam says fasting, the fast days are good to do tshuva. He says, even if, what does fasting have to do with history? Like, you know, they, they once stopped down the walls around your shrine, so I have to fast for that. What's the, uh, what am I trying to accomplish? So the Ramad says, well, what you do when you fast is you, you're more introspective, it's annoying, 
you think about it, you think about what you're doing, whereas if you had a regular day, you wouldn't think about anything besides the regular day. So fasting is a good way to make a special time. And that special time is good for, uh, for doing tshuva, according to the right. Prayer, also, I mean, you know, there's so many caveats in prayer about when it works and when it doesn't work. I, I don't I personally see the point of all of that. I, I think prayer is a good thing. Well, you start saying extra to the name, of course, everybody was giving up the sheets with the blood that's coming extra to the name, then all of a sudden stop, but you have to... No, because the nation, you say, we're worthy. Because that you say, you say to God, we're, we, we are worthy because we take our relationship with God seriously. And we show that by saying, by saying to him. As we, we, as we show that we don't exactly tell God what to do. I mean, it's more like we're, we're in God's arm to a certain extent. And we just want to emphasize that. Even though uh, we could argue, well, why does God need that, uh, so that reassurance? I mean, whatever is true is true. But these are matters of the divine. It's hard for me to... Yeah. Also, that's just the case regarding the the boys were already dead before he even started saying to them, they would get immediately before they were kidnapped, they were already dead. So, does it mean change? I'm designed to go back and change the past. In general, prayer. But prayer doesn't work for anything that is not natural, it doesn't fit in. Like the guys in the Hamas, they could have prayed a lot. But they were up against uh, a very uh, significant uh, power. We're not going to help. I didn't say you're not able to. You're certainly able to. But I said, I don't think, personally, I don't think that the key to prayer is what you're asking for. I think that the key to prayer is that you're doing it. That's what I think. I mean, you can ask me, ask me for nature, ask for data specifically. That's, of course, we ask in the plural, which is a modifying factor. Little Fritz, to do a little Fritz. Yeah. So, take the little Fritz so seriously. You can always stop it. I mean, it's not like the little Fritz is irrelevant. You can always stop it for anything you want at any time. And you could put it into Shmon Esher. You could put it into Shmon Esher. Every paragraph of Shmon Esher could be an ask by a personal request. But the format of Dominic that was created by the Ashraf Metzibah Allah is always plural. It's we are asking. We are that. That's a good time to ask for personal, personal things as well. But that's not apparently the essence of Tfilah. The essence of Tfilah somehow is, is connected to the community. People die. People die together. Right? Minyanin. I mean, this is like a form that was developed over time. We spoke about it a little bit on, uh, yesterday. That, that, that first people gave sacrifices on Bamot. 
and you know, kind of everybody had their own despair. And everybody would give a sacrifice. But eventually, there were ups and downs in the history, but eventually Yerushalayim was built in that there were no bubbles. You couldn't have, you couldn't sacrifice. Even after the destruction of Yerushalayim, there was, there was no way to approach God as an individual anymore. Now, that doesn't mean that the individual doesn't have specific issues or requests, but you have to be part of the larger community in order to, to approach God. And you could stay at home also. You don't have to be, but the Bama, this high place that they built the gay sacrifice, was a distinguishing factor. We did it, not you. Whereas prayer is not like that. Prayer is communal. Like, uh, like this community involved like Shabbos starts where the community happens. As if the Gemara gets up to this Moshiach on Shabbos, just Shabbos, Shabbos starts all together. We know we have to accept Shabbos for the life of But that's because the life is different. It's not my fault. Okay, have a wonderful summer.